Well, good morning. My name is Ben. I'm the lead pastor here at CORE. And like Des said earlier, we could not be more excited that each and every one of you are here with us this morning. Whether you're here with us for the very first time or maybe you're back for the 100th time, maybe you're checking us out online or you're sitting there this morning and you walked through those doors giving church and giving God a chance again and you've been gone for three years or five years and you're walking back with those same nerves and that same tension as if it's your very first time. That we hope today is an absolutely incredible experience as we launch into part two of this series we are using to kick off our new year that we're calling Win the Day. And throughout this series, as we find ourselves in part two, we believe with all of our heart that you are here at the perfect time. Because this particular series, we are extending longer than I think I've ever done a series. You see, this series is going to last for seven parts. And as we move through each of these seven parts, we're going to be looking at the ways in our lives that how we begin to move our lives and our 2023 into a better direction than what we have ever moved before. And we're beginning to move in that better direction under this ridiculously simple and yet life-changing premise by reducing the stress in our lives. Because what I'd venture to guess is that for most, if not all of us in this room, we would attest to the fact that our lives have far too much stress. Am I right? That even if your life just has a minimal amount of stress, you would still attest to the fact that just a little bit of stress is still too much stress. And what we've encountered in our lives as we have journeyed through the stressful situations that always come on the back end of difficulties and disappointments in our lives is that the stress that we encounter always holds us back from living the life we desire to live. It always holds us back from accomplishing more and achieving the dreams and the destiny that we have for our lives. And our hope throughout this series is that we begin to discover that our dreams and our destinies that we have for ourselves and that God has for our futures aren't a mystery. Our dreams and our destiny are a decision. And that every single one of us are but one decision away from a completely different life. That's what this series is all about. And throughout this series, each and every week, we're coming back to this one imperative question. This one imperative question that we believe with all of our hearts, that if we begin to ask this question of ourselves every single day, it begins to change the direction of our lives, it begins to change the way in which we move, the perspective we have, and the way in which our futures unfold. And that one imperative question is simply this. Can you do it for a day? Can you do it for a day? Because what I'm willing to bet, if you're anything like me, is this. Is that oftentimes we find ourselves moving through life feeling the crushing pressure of things like five-year goals or ten-year goals. Or here we sit in January already feeling the overwhelming pressure of one-year goals in the forms of things called New Year's resolutions. That we've all made New Year's resolutions in our lives within a couple weeks of making those resolutions and looking at the ability to carry out that resolution every single day for an entire year, we find ourselves recognizing that that year-long goal is just too much for us to be able to accomplish every single day. And if you found yourself in that boat of feeling this overwhelming pressure of looking too far into your future, you're not alone because what we know is that 75% of all New Year's resolutions fail within the first month. But what if 
We could begin to live our lives in which we weren't looking so far back into our past and so far forward into our futures, and we were just asking the question, what does it look like for me to just win the day? For me to begin living every single day under the premise and asking the questions, is it what's best for today? Is it the right choice for today? Is it sustainable for today? And I'm going to wake up tomorrow and worry about whatever this world and whatever my life throws at me tomorrow. But for today, I'm just worried about taking the next right step today. There is this well-known account of an incredible moment in history that if you've grown up in the church, you've probably heard a time or two or a hundred as you've grown up. It's this story about the ancient people of the nation of Israel who found themselves being taken captive, taken into bondage by the nation of Egypt. And they found themselves as slave under the hand of a ruler by the name of Pharaoh. And as they found themselves slaves within Egypt for hundreds of years, we're talking about by the time we pick up the story today, that there is nobody left who has experienced life not under the hand of slavery. But as they've experienced this life, God comes to a man named Moses, and he calls him to go to Egypt and to say to Pharaoh, let my people go. And they walk through, Pharaoh saying no, and then unleashing these ten different plagues. And by the time we get to the end of the tenth plague, Pharaoh's like, I've had enough of this. I want my life to go back to normal. If you people are this much trouble, then just get out of my country. And he finally relinquishes, and he finally allows them to be free and they journey out into the wilderness, their first taste of freedom. And as soon as they find themselves venturing out on their own, Pharaoh realizes he's made a catastrophic mistake. He has just lost over two million free laborers. And what will the future of my country now look like if I don't have that free labor? to depend on, to build just about everything that's been built in my kingdom, to rise us up to prominence and not cost me a dime out of my back pocket. And so he turns around to his military leader, and he orders the Egyptian army to lay chase to the Israelites out into the wilderness, to bring them back and to put them back into captivity. And as the Israelite people find themselves wandering out in the wilderness— realizing that the Egyptian army, the enemy, is pursuing behind them to take them back to become slaves once again, there comes a part of the story in which they arrive at another dilemma. They arrive at the Red Sea. And what we know scholars have discovered is that the very point in which the nation of Israel, over two million people, can you imagine that, arrive at the banks of the Red Sea? Is that a part of the Red Sea, not like the Black Fork, but that spanned ten and a half miles wide? And at the deepest point of this part where they approached the Red Sea, it was some 2,500 feet below sea level. But this was something that as they looked at it, was deemed uncrossable, that there was no way to, to escape the pursuit of the enemy behind them. And yet in this moment, as they found themselves at the edge of the Red Sea, we all know how the story ends. And yet what we often fail to recognize is that when their feet came up to the edge of the Red Sea, the Red Sea did not immediately part. In fact, what they began to discover was this panic that rose up inside of every single one of them. 
because there was this uncrossable hurdle in front of them and an enemy pursuing behind them. And we know from the story that the Israelites immediately fell to their knees and they began to weep and they began to beg for mercy, knowing that their life wasn't going to be the better that they hoped it would be. Until one man, a man who was appointed the military leader, the prince of the nation of Israel by Moses himself, decided to do what only he could do. We see in rabbinic literature a guy by the name of Nashon, the great-great-grandfather of King David. That as he, along with two million of his friends and family, stepped to the edge of the Red Sea and he looked around and saw all of them falling to their knees because of the pursuit of the enemy behind them and the impossibilities that lie in front of them, Nashon made a choice. He made a choice to step into the Red Sea. And as Nashon stepped into the Red Sea, he made a decision not just to take a step into the unknown, but he decided to wade himself into the water until it reached chin level. And when Nashon kissed the wave, the Red Sea parted before them. You see, we've all heard the axiom before, if you want to walk on water, you have to get out of the boat. But on that particular day, Nashon lived and experienced a different axiom. That if you want to see God make a sidewalk through the sea, you have to get off the shoreline. In this very moment, Nashon experienced something. In, in this moment that often you and I miss. You see, Nashon didn't part the Red Sea himself. Nashon simply took the step that he was capable of taking. He stepped into the water. He took the risk in faith. And so often we want to see God move in our lives and in our stories in incredible ways. Deep down, we want to all be a part of the only God story. The story that can only be explained by, I have no idea how this happened, but God stepped in and he moved in miraculous ways on my behalf. But we find ourselves never willing to get off the sidelines. You see, if you want to move your story in a better direction, you have to start living your life according to this reality. That if you want to see God do the super, you have to do the natural. If you want to see God do the super, you have to be willing to do the natural. And there are so many times in my own life in which I just keep waiting for God to do what only he can do, while all the while ignoring all the ways in which I can do what I can do. In which falling back from the things that I've been called to just take a step out into the water. And you see, in this very moment when the panic ensued, Moses shouts out clear instructions, clear direction to the Israelites in this very moment as they find themselves on the ground in despair, wondering what to do and wondering what the way forward is, knowing that there's this uncertainty that lies out in front of them and there's an enemy that pursues from behind them. Moses begins to shout something out to all two million people, telling them how they begin to take their step forward and experience the better that they had hoped to experience. And what's so incredible is that what we're going to find is these instructions that Moses shouts out to these Israelites several thousand years ago still paints a picture of the way forward for me and for you. We find this moment in history in the book of Exodus, chapter 14, starting in verse 13. And if you haven't done so already, this is a perfect opportunity for you to grab that weekly that you got when you came in 
Maybe you're sharing with somebody beside you, but to crack that baby open. And we've created a notes page on the inside specifically for you. It'll help you follow along as we move through the text, or if that's not your style, everything will come up on the screen as well. But here, in this moment, in the midst of their uncertainty and their wailing, in the midst of their despair, these are the instructions for the way forward that Moses gives to his people and to you and to me. Moses said to the people, Do not be afraid. Stand still, or some translations say, stand up and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will accomplish for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall see again no more forever. The Lord will fight for you, and you shall hold your peace. You see, so often we fear the uncertainty of our lives. We fear the moments of difficulties and the bumps that undoubtedly come with each passing day of our lives. And furthermore, we have this fear that lives inside of so many of us as we look out into a hurting and dark world at the things that are taking place all around us in our cities, in our states, in our countries. And oftentimes, all of those fears that bombard us within our lives leave us figuratively quivering in our own corner of life. But what if we learned, as we moved through the difficulties and the hardships and the brokenness and the darkness of life in this world, what if we began to live our lives in expectation that those things will undoubtedly come? Well, what if we began to expect, as Jesus promised, that in this life you will have trouble. In this life there will be hardships. In this life there will be hurdles for you to leap over as you move towards your dreams and your destinies. And what if we began to live our lives under the understanding that even those obstacles could be embraced as opportunities? See, years ago when Charles Spurgeon was asked how he navigated the difficulties of life that had been thrown his way every step of the way, he answered in this way. He said, I've learned to kiss the wave that throws me up against the rock of ages. I've learned to embrace the difficulty, to embrace the hard, to expect the hard, to expect the things that will come that will knock me to my knees. I've learned to step into the water when everybody else is staying on the shoreline. You see, the problem is, is that it's so easy to become paralyzed in the moments of uncertainty, when we're being chased by our own enemies. And what I'm willing to bet is that so many of us this morning have walked into this room and we find ourselves feeling as if we're being chased by our own enemies from behind. For you, maybe it's the diagnosis. The diagnosis for you or for a loved one. Maybe over the course of the last 12 months, it's the loss of a loved one. And figuring out what it looks like to move forward in life and navigate life without that special person that you've always clung to and has always been your rock and has always been there. Maybe it's the financial weight that you feel yourself consistently under, feeling as if there's no way out and no way to move forward and no way to do what you want to do with your finances or with your time and resources to be generous in the way you want to. Maybe it's relational brokenness. And there's just that division that's crept into this relationship or that relationship in which you find yourself constantly dealing with the unforgiveness 
and the anger that comes along with the fissure that's been put into that relationship. That we find ourselves being pursued by an enemy from behind us that scares us to death, all the while looking at the world around us that is dark and broken. A world in which we are confused at how to navigate and how to move through and how to relate to. A world in which it feels like the gap between the two sides just continues to grow larger with each passing day. And as that fear grows, ultimately for me and maybe for you, I find myself stuck in one place, not knowing how to move forward, not knowing what I'm called to. And yet what I believe with all of my heart, and I don't know that I can express this with enough passion this morning, what I believe with all of my heart and what I want to do my best to convey to you is what I believe Jesus is calling you and I as Christ followers too. And let me just say this, if you walked into this room and you are not a Christ follower, you just get an up-close look at what I believe with all of my heart we are called to, and you get off the hook. But if you walked into this room as a Christ follower, I want to challenge you to lean in for just a second. Because what I believe with all of my heart, Jesus set a precedent for, and what he has called you and I to with every day of our lives and to live out with every fiber of our being is this. Is that when we experience the gaps that come along with living this life, the gaps between where we are and where we want to be that seem to be filled with all the uncertainty and all the fear, the gaps of division, politically, racially, that come with living in the world that we live in. We as Christ followers are being called to stand in that gap every single time. No matter how wide the gap may seem, no matter how difficult it is to navigate, that we are called to become people who are supposed to be tone setters in this world. To model and exemplify what it looks like to pass through the difficulties and the hardships of this life in the healthiest way possible. That when we experience division and relational brokenness within our world, that we deal with that division by remaining empathetic listeners and love extenders and peacemakers. But doing so, doing so in all lives and becoming people who are capable of kissing the wave, stepping out into deep waters and taking a risk into the unknown, embracing the hard, it requires three things of us. Three things that Moses, several thousand years ago, called of those two million Israelites who were on their knees, lying prone on the floor, paralyzed by the fear that surrounded them. And when we begin to live out and embrace these three things that Moses called out, we become people who are capable of taking the risk, standing in the gap, and moving all life, the lives of the people around us, and even the world around us in a healthier direction. You see, in order for us to be capable of kissing the wave and stepping out into the unknown towards our dreams and our destiny, it first requires us to face our fear. Moses said, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. And as I look at God's instruction manual for my life and your life, what you'll find is that several hundred times a phrase similar to that one comes out again and again and again. Fear not. Do not be afraid. Be strong. Be courageous. 
And if you're anything like me, you look at your life and the world in which we live, and you're like, I don't even know how that's possible. I have absolutely no idea how it's possible for me to push fear aside and for me to live courageously in my life and to continue to step into deep waters. And you see, maybe the holdup for you is the same as it's been for me, is that I've been looking at courage in all the wrong way. You see, somewhere along the way, we've been led to believe that courage is the absence of fear. And that couldn't be further from the truth. Because the reality is, is that fear is a prerequisite for courage. Courageous people aren't people who live with no fear. Courageous people are people who have learned how to manage fear well. And so maybe if you want your 2023 to change in a drastically better way, the question that we should be asking ourselves at the outset of this new year is this. How do I presently manage my fears? How do I presently manage the fears that I experience on a daily basis? See, psychologists have studied the brain of infants. And what they have found is that for every human being born into this world, we are all born with two fears. The fear of falling and the fear of loud noises. Do you know what that means? It means that every other fear we've encountered in our lives they have all been learned. Hello. But there's good news to that as well. It also means that every other fear we've ever experienced in our life can be unlearned. And here's the incredible part. Faith is the process of unlearning our fears. Faith is the process of being able to take steps towards courage. And learn how to manage our fears in a healthy way, in a productive way, in a way that allows us to continue to move forward, in a way that allows us to believe. I'm to a point in my faith where I know things aren't always going to be rosy and aren't always going to work out in my favor. But I also believe that I have the God of the universe on my side who's bigger than all of that. And because of that, I can push through just about anything. But what does great fear management look like? How do we begin to become courageous people that start to lessen the control of fear in our lives? Well, a guy by the name of John gives us some incredible direction in that. This guy who followed Jesus around for several years, and then when Jesus was leaving, he was one of the 11 who were sort of handed the keys to the kingdom of the local church here on this earth. John begins to give us some insight of what it looks like to become great managers of our fear. This is what he says in 1 John chapter 4. For such love has no fear, because perfect love expels all fear. And you're like, but Ben, hang on just a second. I have no idea what perfect love is. I don't even know what that looks like. I don't know how to experience it. I don't know how to live that out in my life. When we look into the exact same writings of John, John connects the dots for us. In this exact same letter, John writes this. Don't know what perfect love is? Let me define it for you. God is love. It's as if John is painting this picture for our lives and our futures. That if we want to lessen the control of fear in our lives and become more courageous, it begins by us experiencing the love of God, by loving God, by fearing God. That the fear, the love of God is the cure for all other fears that we experience in our lives. Isn't that good news? 
that there is hope that breaks the chains of the things that hold us back from living out and discovering the dreams and the destiny that the God of the universe has given me and given you. Let me push a little harder on this. You see, not only is expelling fear in our lives about experiencing God's love and then living it out in our relationships to the people around us, but think of any fear you've ever encountered in your life. Let's start with a big one. Many of us, right, hold a fear of failure in our lives. Anybody who likes to fail? Okay. But the reality is, is that in all lives, the cure for the fear of failure, I don't know if you've recognized this before or not, the cure for the fear of failure is not success. You realize that? The cure for the fear of failure is experiencing failure in small enough doses over time that we begin to build up immunity towards failure, towards that fear. You see, give me some grace here, y'all, okay? This ain't political, okay? This is just Jesus. In all lives, our ability to overcome fear works a whole lot like an immunization. You see, the way in which an immunization works is this is that you begin to expose yourself to small enough doses, you single out the strain of that virus that you were working with, and you expose yourself in small enough doses to that virus that it builds up the immunity within you. And you see, in our own lives, we begin to recognize the strain of fear that we're dealing with, and then we expose ourselves to enough of those fears in small enough doses over time that we begin to build up immunity to that. You don't avoid it to overcome it. You face it to overcome it. It's like this personal fear that I have in my life. For me, I have a personal fear that runs deep inside of me of public communication. Hilarious, right? And about 15 years ago, when I was coming out of college and getting my first job into ministry, if you would have told me 15 years ago that one of your primary responsibilities within your ministry every single week would be the preparation and deliverance of a message in front of large groups of people, I would have told you I need to go back to school immediately and figure out something else to do. Because this ain't for me. It scares me to death. And yet the reality of the matter is here I stand 15 years later, eight years into Core Community Church, and within this setting, in front of large groups of people, I have communicated almost a thousand times in this way. And yet if I would have allowed that fear to control me and send me in a different direction, what I recognize about my life is that even though every single time I walk up on this stage, every single weekend, I do my very best to hide it, but there is still this fear that courses through me. This fear of, should I do this again? Do I really want to get up there? Isn't there somebody better? How much am I going to screw up? How much am I going to sound like Elmer Fudd and mess up my words this morning and make a fool of myself? Do I really want to continue to live my life this way? And yet over time, in exposing myself to it, and in doing it, and in putting myself into that position where it's not that I'm eradicating fear, but I'm encountering that fear in my life, if I wouldn't have done that, I'd miss out on the things that God is specifically calling me to. And what I believe with all of my heart is that the same is true in your life. In some way, shape, or form, there is something that the fear inside of you is holding you back from because it presents the possibility of failure. 
And yet in not doing that and not exposing yourself to that and not risking a little bit of failure along the way, you are missing out on the dreams and the destiny that God is calling you individually to. You see, part of my job as a pastor, and and frankly, y'all, part of our job collectively as a body is that we are called to challenge and push each other. And one of the ways, y'all, that we should be challenging and pushing each other is like this. Is by challenging each other by saying, you should be dreaming a little bigger. You should be risking a little more. And here's what's so incredible about that. When we become capable of doing that collectively, we start to gain herd immunity from the fears of our lives. When we collectively engage in fearful situations and take risks together, we collectively know this might not turn out well, this might not all go right, but at least we're collectively in this together, linking arms together, and we slowly begin to collectively gain some herd immunity from the fears of our lives. It's like this stupid decision that we're right in the middle of right now. Churches of 230-some people on Sunday morning with a budget like ours don't embark on two giant building projects. One that's going to sixfold our size from about 6,000 square feet to over 37,000 square feet in our church facility, and then also simultaneously taking on another 37,000 square foot building to launch a community outreach center. So that in a non-threatening way, the people in our city and the kids in our city can experience and see Jesus in a completely different way and provide hope. There's all this uncertainty and all this risk that comes along with it. Is this actually going to work? Are we actually going to be able to afford it? And as much as we want to lay out on paper that we've got all of our T's crossed and all of our I's dotted, there is uncertainty of that step of faith that we just don't know. And yet we have become people that have said, we want to push our chips into the middle for this because we believe so so wholeheartedly in this. That it's not about my glory or us growing bigger or anything along those sorts. It's about we believe with all of our heart that those two facilities position us to make Jesus more known and heaven more crowded. And when we become a group of people who are willing to say, yeah, I don't know that that's going to work either. Ben, frankly, I'm holding this in, but that was a pretty stupid decision. But guess what? Even though I don't know that it's going to work, I'm going to take a step out, and I'm going to give some of myself, and I'm going to be a part of this, and I'm going to risk right alongside of you, and we can go down together, and that's all right. Because it's only you, Ben, that's losing your job, not me, if this thing goes down. But, But I'm willing to jump into the trenches, And when we do that collectively, guess what happens? We all become better managers of our fear. That when we do it with one fear in our life, like a cancer, it begins to spread to all the other fears of our lives. But here's what we need to know. Someone has to jump in first. Nashon stepped in first. Someone has to go first in your family. And when they do, the waters part for others to follow. One man kissed the wave so that over two million could experience God making a sidewalk through the sea. But let's be clear about something, y'all. Every step of the way for each of these two million people, 
carried its own risk. Because what did I tell you? The facts before at its deepest part, 2,500 feet below sea level. You know what that means? With each step deeper into the Red Sea on dry ground, they could have literally seen thousands of feet of water on both sides of them that they knew could come crashing down around them. In fact, when they looked back after they had stepped out of the water, that water did come crashing down around the Egyptian army. There were these steps of risk and, and faith, this fear that was still there. But collectively, they just kept moving through it. They just kept pushing through it. They just kept overcoming it. See, remember this. We all want a miracle, but none of us want to experience the circumstances of, in our lives that necessitate it. You can't have one without the other. Y'all okay? We all want to see God work in incredible ways, but we don't really want to live lives that put us in a position to where we have circumstances that necessitate God working on our behalf. You can't have one without the other. You've got to face your fears. And then secondly, you've got to stand your ground. What did Moses tell them? Get up. Stand up. Stand strong. How could they possibly do this when it felt like everything was falling apart around them? Well, they could do it. Because Moses was giving this instruction most likely based on a flashback. I can just imagine in this moment that Moses was flashing back to the burning bush. That moment when God was calling him to go to Egypt and demand from Pharaoh that he let his people go. If you've heard this story before, you know that Moses immediately comes up with like a million excuses. Like, I shouldn't be the one to be sent. I'm not a good public communicator. There are people that are better than me. God, you should go find somebody else. And as all these fears begin to rise up in Moses, and, and all of this aversion to the risk that lies out in front of him, there is one thing that God starts it all off with. He says, you want to be able to push through your fears. You want to stand up and get moving and move towards what I'm calling you to, but that comes with substantial risk. In Exodus chapter 3, God says to Moses, I will be with you. I will be with you. Just anchor yourself to me, Moses. Just anchor yourself to me in 2023. And you can push through anything that your life in this world wants to throw at you. You want to stand your ground when everything around you suggests that the best possible option is for you to run? Anchor yourself to the someone who holds the world in his hands, who is bigger than any enemy who pursues you and bigger than any sea that is out in front of you. Anchor yourself to that. And we do that, but it's what we talked about last week, by knowing your name, this value, this worth, our identity that we have in Christ. Paul outlined it over and over again. We went through it in the whole uh, Romans chapter 8, that you are loved, that you are called, that you are not condemned, that you have been chosen as God's own child, you've been made his heir, and nothing could ever separate you from God's love. And yet Paul just keeps right on going. In his letter to the church in Galatia, he continues with this sort of identity crisis that we're all facing in our lives by defining us even further. He says this, it is for, for freedom that Christ has set us free. You know what Paul's saying here? You want to know who you are? You want to know where your value and your worth lies? All those mistakes, 
All that guilt, all that shame that you've believed along the way defines you. None of that defines you because of what Jesus did on a cross. He wiped all of that away, and now all you are known by is you are free, you are clean, you are righteous. And then what does he say next? So stand And do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. Do not let yourselves be burdened, held back again by the lies that the enemy wants to tell you that you're defined by guilt and shame and the mistakes of your past. No, stand up. Get moving. And when you realize who you really are, the freedom from shame, guilt, and failure that you've been given, you can stand your ground. You can stand tall when the world wants to knock you down, knowing Knowing that oftentimes in our lives, well-managed failures are the best path to success. Oftentimes, in order for us to reach our dreams and our destinies, the path that must be traveled is through managing some failures along the way really, really well and being people who are capable of standing and continuing to move forward. We have to face our fears. We have to stand our ground. And then third, Moses defines it at the very end. We have to become people who hold our peace, who hold your peace, who experience peace in our lives, in our relationships. There's this ancient Orthodox tradition. It's called pass the peace. And this ancient Orthodox tradition was actually derived directly from something that Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount. You see, Jesus goes through one of his most famous sermons ever, and he begins to outline all of these steps we can take towards having and experiencing a rich and satisfying life, having life to the full. And as he's outlining all of these things, he begins to bring up this one word scattered throughout the Sermon on the Mount over and over again. It's this word peace. That if you really want to move towards your dreams and your destiny and what I'm calling you to, you can't do that unless you experience peace in your life. And yet he begins to give this instruction that absolutely blows the people away. That absolutely shakes the foundation of everything they believed about their religion and their relationship with God. You see, it was based on this ancient Jewish sort of habit or requirement. That in order for you to live the best life possible, there's only one thing that you need to do. You need to make sure that your relationship with God is good. That's it. And so how you do that is you come to the temple... You buy some overpriced doves, and you sacrifice them. And that washes you clean, and it makes you right with God, and everything's good. And then Jesus steps onto the pages of history, and he's like, whoa, 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 whoa. You're missing something in this whole peace with me equation. Yeah, I want you to have peace with me, and I sent my son for that peace to be restored and made right. But in order for it to continue on, it's got to be more than that. This is what it must look like. And he has this drop-the-mic moment in Matthew chapter 5, verse 23, where he says this. So if you are presenting a sacrifice at the altar in the temple, and you suddenly remember that someone has something against you, leave your sacrifice there at the altar. Go and be reconciled to that person. Then come back and offer your sacrifice to God. You have been given peace through Christ. This is what Jesus is saying here. Now go and take that peace and live it out in the relationships around you. Jesus 
is effectively saying that in order for us to kiss the waves and embrace the risk that we've been called to embrace, one of the pivotal steps for us is to become unoffendable. For us to live our lives unoffendable. And trust me, there will be plenty of things that we encounter on a daily basis that seem fair of our offense, of us becoming offended people. And yet holding our peace means we have to become people who don't get easily offended. It's by no mistake that about 20 verses before this, Jesus makes this statement. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called the children of God. This is how we break the cycle of racial division and political tension and hatred and jealousy and conflict that exists all around us in our world. We love our enemies and we pray for those who persecute you. We are called to be peacemakers and the best darn empathetic listeners in the world. And hear me loud and clear. It doesn't mean that we sacrifice our beliefs and our values. It doesn't mean we exchange what's right for what's wrong. It does mean that we approach a dark and hurting world with our peace on full display. Even when things get hard. And even when, because this is going to happen, y'all. Even when people get upset and offended no matter what we do. You can't kiss the wave if you don't hold your peace with God, hold your peace with others, and hold your peace with yourself. See, let me finish with this, and I said this earlier, but I think it's so important. See, when it comes to kissing the wave, when it comes to taking the risk, someone has to go first. Someone has to go first. Someone has to be the tone setter. Someone else has to set the example. Someone has to go first. And we keep waiting for God to do the super when we haven't taken a step to just do the natural. In that very moment when they're waiting for God to perform a miracle, God looks back at Moses, and this is what he says to Moses. This is so incredible. He says to Moses, why are you crying out to me? Tell the people to get moving. I'll do what I can do. You need to take a step. You need to get moving. You need to do what you can do. You see, there are two kinds of people in this world. There are plotters and there are plotters. You know, like Ben, you just said the same word twice. There are plotters with two T's and there are plotters with two D's. Plotters are the people who are capable of seeing out into the future, and they have incredible vision, and they even have sort of a picture painted of what it might take to get from where you are to where you want to be, and they're constantly looking at these giant dreams and these giant scenarios, and there's something commendable about plotters with two T's. And yet what I believe with all of my heart is this, is that the people who actually tangibly change their lives and change the world around them are the people who are committed to being plotters with two D's. The people who step into every day and say, you know what, I don't know what the future holds. I don't know what obstacles and hurdles are in front of me, but I'm committed to just taking the right step today and just taking another step forward the next day and just winning the day. You see, Nashon was a plotter with two, T, with two Ds. And because he made the choice to plod out into the water until he kissed the wave, 
two million lives were changed. So what would it look like for you to have the courage not to eradicate the fear of your life, but to be willing to manage it well and to keep moving, to just take a step of risk so that you can win the day. Would you pray with me? Father, this morning, God, we thank you for being a God who sent your son to set an example of what it looked like to stand in the gap, of what it looked like to be a tone setter, to take risks that everybody else thought was crazy and impossible. But God, we also thank you for that promise that you made to Moses several thousand years ago that still rings true in every single one of our lives. That when the fear rises up inside of you, the enemy pursues from beside, and the uncertainty rises up in front of you, what you can cling to is this. I will be with you. The God of the universe who holds the world in his hands is becoming an anchor to you that you can attach yourself to. It doesn't get rid of all the hardship and the difficulties of this world, but it allows us to have confidence in the fact that we can get through anything, that we can push forward, that we can be courageous by taking the risks that need to be taken and to begin to kiss the wind. at the beginning of 2023 move our lives in that direction. It's in your name that we pray.